Well, again, thank you for coming today and also watching online. Uh, we're glad uh, that you're with us. It's an exciting day for us. Uh, we, we are a, a growing church with an ancient faith in a modern setting. And today's a special day for us because we are, this is the first day of our launch of our brand new campus in Paulding, Ohio. So let's welcome them. Welcome, Paulding. And if you're, you're new here at Grace, we're, we're so glad that you're here. Today, we're starting a new series called Soul Detox. And soul's kind of an interesting word. Uh, we use it in a couple of different ways. And actually, it's used in those different ways in the Bible as well. Uh, the first way that sometimes in the Bible, when, when the word soul is used, it, it's simply a synonym for people. It's just a soul means a person. And we retain that in our language today. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when we're counting the number of people on board a ship or on board a plane, we'll say 200 souls on board. That actually, that language actually comes from the New Testament in Acts chapter 27 where Luke is reporting to a sh about a shipwreck that Paul was in and he says 276 souls uh, were on that ship and that's where that kind of comes from. But other times when we use the word and when it appears in the Bible, it means something more than just a person. It means something deeper, something kind of about our being or inside of us. And that comes out in our language as well. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a, a popular prayer that many of you may have learned when you were a kid. Do you remember how this, now I didn't learn this, so I need a little help, but you know, the one, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, that's a comforting prayer to, to pray to our, uh, to, to teach our kids, you know, right before they go to bed. If I die before I wake, you know, I, I don't know what is going on there, but, uh, but it's used that way in the Bible as well. Actually, what Scripture says is that you and I are an unceasing spiritual being with, with any, that will go on in an eternity in God's universe. An unceasing spiritual being. That's who we are in our soul. And we have an eternal destiny in God's universe. And really, that's the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing that you should know about you, and, and that's what God's teaching us. And, and a soul is not, our soul is not simply the part of us that lives on after we die. Our soul is the most important part of us now, right now. And Jesus had a lot to say about the soul, or he had a lot to teach about the inside of us. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 15. And um, invite you to turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want to just use one on the back of a, that, that's in the rack in front of you, it's page uh, 974, and you can follow along. Here's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands... When they eat. 
And so he, they're, they're challenging Jesus on an issue. And Jesus answers this several verses later in verse 10. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And actually, Peter, one of the disciples, wanted some clarification on that. And that starts in verse 15. He says, Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So here you have Jesus teaching us about the fact that the most important part of us is really contaminated, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll figure out how we can be decontaminated. But the whole passage starts with an argument. These, this group of people called the Pharisees and scribes, and if you don't know who they were, basically they were a, a group of very religious um, people who followed all the rules and, uh, and as they followed all those rules, they kind of looked down on everybody else, which made them self-righteous. So you have these religious leaders, self-righteous types, follow all the rules, look down on everybody else who doesn't follow. As a matter of fact, some of us have probably met somebody like that, right? Anybody? You know, sometimes we run across people that are kind of like that. And that's who Jesus is interacting with. But a lot of times we just pass over a passage like this. Because they're talking about this cleanness and this rule about washing hands. We don't have that rule today. So, you know, sometimes we pass over it because it's kind of Jewish in its context. But really, we shouldn't always do that because Jesus is teaching us something that's of profound interest to every one of us. Because he's going to, going to teach us how we can be clean on the inside. And so, basically, there's three points out of this text that I want us to see this morning. And the first one is simply that nobody is clean in their soul. Nobody is clean in their soul. And what's happening here, and I think we all know that deep down, but what's happening in this story in, in Matthew 15 that's recorded for us is that these Pharisees come and, and they accuse Jesus' disciples of being unclean because they didn't follow this rule of washing their hands. It's very interesting to see how Jesus responds because basically he doesn't defend the disciples. He, he argues with the Pharisees, but he, he's not defending the disciples. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault, witness, slanders. It's basically Jesus is saying, oh, these guys? Yeah, they're a mess. You think they're unclean? Oh, they're unclean, all right. They're unclean even on the inside. But why he disagrees with the Pharisees is what makes them unclean. Because the Pharisees are saying, you didn't wash your hand. You didn't follow this rule on the outside. And because of that, you're unclean. Jesus says, no, they're unclean because of what's in the inside. Because none of our 
souls are clean. And all this has to do with what, what we call clean laws in the Old Testament. There are a bunch of rules, and they really existed to teach Israel more about God. So they're there to teach Israel about God because God reveals himself through Scripture, and he says things like, I'm merciful. God says, I am merciful. And we kind of get that because once in a while, we can be merciful, so we understand what he's talking about. And then God will say, I am loving. And we get that because once in a while, we can be loving, so we kind of understand what God's saying when he says, I'm loving. But then God says something. He says, I am holy. And we're at a loss because we're not even a little bit holy, so we don't know what that means. So in order for us to understand that, God put these rules into place to help us realize that we are unclean, we are dirty, we are unholy, and God is holy, and there's this separation between us and God. And so all these rules were put into place. They're kind of physical rules, physical reminders that there's something inside of us, something spiritually going on, that we are apart from God because he's holy and we're not. And so that's what those laws were to do, is to help us see that. Sometimes in the Old Testament, God shows up, and he shows up as fire, the Shekinah glory. And it was kind of a dangerous thing, and it was just a reminder that God is so good, so righteous, so holy, that he's sort of dangerous for us who are not holy. The problem today, see... We don't ever want to think of God as being dangerous. We, that, that's not comfortable for us. And we've got to really kind of get over that because the Bible is saying he is. Our culture typically, here's the way people think. They think, I'm a pretty good person. And everybody thinks they're a pretty good person. And then they think, and they know one thing about God, and God is loving. I'm a pretty good person, and God is loving, so when we meet someday, it's all going to work out okay, because I'm pretty good, and God's loving, so he's going to, it's going to be all right for me. But that is not what the Bible says. Sure, God's loving, but God's also holy and righteous and pure and all these other things. And when we read through scripture, we realize we're not good people. The whole standard of the Old Testament was to teach us that we're not good. That we have this stuff inside of us. We have wrong inside of us. And uh, we need to get that. I know a lot of people can admit that. Hey, yeah, I, I get it. I'm not a good person. I have sin. Some people have a real tough time with that. Some people say, wow, no, I, I am. I, I'm actually a pretty good person. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, I got a great illustration for you. How many of you remember about five years ago, there was a show, it only aired two seasons, called Moment of Truth. It's a show where they hook people up to a lie detector test, a polygraph, and then they ask them a series of questions. Anybody remember this show? It's, it's, it's really a gut-wrenching show. It's basically you go on air and in front of your spouse maybe your parents, your family, and your closest friends who are sitting right there with you, you answer 21 questions. And if you can answer all 21 questions truthfully, you win half a million dollars. Here's kind of the way it went. It's a bizarre twist. 
in how this goes. This lady's up there, and she starts answering questions. And, and through these questions, she admits that on her wedding day, she was in love with another man. She admits to stealing money from her family. She admits to, um, well, wishing that she, was, that, that she should be married to somebody else rather than the guy she was married with. She admitted to committing adultery on her husband. All these things. She admits all of it. She tells the truth. She admits it. And she destroys all these relationships. And then did you hear the last question? The last question is, do you think you're a good person? Her family doesn't think she's a good person. Her husband doesn't think she, he's shaking his head no. The audience, we all know. She knows. But she says, yes. Yes, I do. And... She loses everything. She lost the money. She had gotten to that point because you can't lie. She did that. What is going on there? You see, we as human beings, we have this need to be able to look in the mirror and think we're a good person. We have this need for, for other people to think we're good people. And so what happens is when these Wrong things come out of our soul, out of the inside, and we do these terrible things. We have a way of justifying them. Well, you know, I had to do that. Or rationalizing them. Well, that's not so bad compared to something. We, we, or we just forget about them. We put them out of our mind. We don't think about them because they conflict with us thinking that we're a good person. Here, this lady, all she had to do is say, you think you're a good person? No. She would have won. But she can't admit it to herself. But, so she says yes, but somewhere deep inside of her, her soul, she knows she's not a good person. That's the same with all of us. Whether we recognize it or not, we are not good people. That's what the Bible is telling us. Deep down in our soul, we know something's broken. Something's not right. And if we think about it long enough, we realize that if the people who love us knew everything about us, every secret, every thought, that they wouldn't love us either. They wouldn't accept us. And so we, we keep all this hidden. But it's still a reality on the inside that we need to deal with. We cannot escape what's inside of us. So we realize if people knew what we were thinking, our relationships would be destroyed. So the, that's the first point. The first point is nobody's clean in their soul. Nobody. All of us have wrong in our hearts, in our souls. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And then the next thing he's trying to get us to see is we cannot clean ourselves on the inside there's there's no amount of things that we can do in this life that takes away the sin that's on the inside no good deeds no amount of washing cleaning nothing that we can do that makes up for that as a matter of fact Jesus in verse 18 I'd already read it said but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man you see nobody here thinks that we can just wash our hands and, and something gets cleaned morally in us. 
But what we need to understand is there's no way for us to do this. We can't do it alone. A few months ago, my, my daughter Carissa was home from college, and, uh, and she was doing this fitness thing, and she was actually going downtown to a fitness place called Boot Camp down on one of the city blocks right downtown Fremont. And, uh, and so she invited me to go, and, and Chris is always fun to hang out with, but, but I detected a little bit of a challenge as she you know, asked me to go to this boot camp thing, so I went with her. So we pull up right, right as it's beginning, I think it was 7 o'clock in the evening, and, and we jump out, and, and there's this, the fitness leader, his name was Gunther, and so Gunther is, is getting everybody together there on the city block. And he says, before we go in and, and do our workout inside, it's cold outside, everybody run around the block, I think, you know, several times to make a mile. So we, Chris and I join in, we're running next to each other, and we're just running around this city block with, you know, maybe 70 other people. We're running around, running around. Well, there were some other people from Grace there. And so Chris and I were running side by side, but we were having a sporadic conversation with the people kind of around us, and I really wasn't watching where I was going, and, and we were going down a side, a side sidewalk, this, all this on a sidewalk, just a city block, and on one of the side streets, there was actually a side door and a step, like a concrete step I didn't see, and so I'm running, and I tripped over that step. And because I was running, it's like my face was shot out of a cannon toward the concrete. I mean, I went down fast, and, and I was just barely able to catch myself with my hands. Like an inch, an inch from the concrete, my nose, and I was able to stop myself right there, bam. And then, I don't know if this, you ever trip in front of people, and then what you do is you jump up real fast and look around to see if anybody noticed that, you know, hey, did anybody see that? Well, that's what I did. I didn't want any help. I jumped up real fast, and I kind of looked around and realized, yeah, I was the entertainment for several people, including my daughter. Uh, they all saw it. And, um, but but that's, that's the way we are. We, we don't want help. We want to take care of it ourselves so nobody else will notice what happened. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage is we can't pick ourselves up on this one. That we can't do anything that will cleanse the inside of us because it's coming out of our soul, out of our heart, out of our spirit. Is what he's saying. And we need to understand that. Actually, that wrong that comes out of us, the Bible calls sin. And we all have it. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. Scripture says that very clearly. We all have this sin inside of our being. And really sin is the sickness that's inherited by our souls. Uh, it's the sickness our soul has inherited. It's not, and, and it's not just the wrong things we do. That's just half of it. The rest of the sin that we have in ourselves, it's the stuff we should do, the good stuff that we don't do. So we have more sin in our lives than we'll ever realize. And Jesus in his teaching is trying to get us to understand this. But it actually gets worse than that. Not only do all of us have sin, every single person, all of us, we have sin. But the worst news is that because God is so holy and righteous and pure, so far separated from us, that he's also just, and his justice demands that all sin be punished. 
which is bad news for every one of us because we all have sin and there's nothing we can do on the outside, no religious ritual, not church membership, not baptism, not washing our hands, not being a good neighbor, not being a good dad, good husband, good wife. None of the, nothing counterbalances the sin inside of us. Nothing on the outside is what he's telling us. And only God can cleanse what's on the inside. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, hell is the place where if we don't have our sin stuff taken care of for us, we're separated from God forever. And many are shocked to hear that Jesus would say something like this because maybe you think Jesus only said comforting words. No, Jesus said comforting words but Jesus also said very powerful, confronting words that pierces our hearts just like this. The Bible teaches one day that we'll stand before a holy and righteous judge who will punish our sin, who will deal with the sin that we have on our account. And Jesus is warning us. He's saying, hey, pay attention to what's on the inside. Make sure the inside gets cleansed. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The right trade, sin, always leads to death and separation from God. But then there's, there's a good side of this verse. Because God loves us, he made a way, and it's the second half. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means there's a way we can receive a gift from God and not be punished for our sin, but rather have that sin removed so we can have a relationship with God forever, and it's free. A couple weeks ago, I had a birthday. And I decided that I was, had some birthday money and I was going to go buy a couple of shirts. So I went with Pam shopping. Pam's like a world-class shopper. So we went to, uh, went to Sandusky. And Pam, my wife, uh, we actually went to a store called Kohl's. And ask your wife, she'll tell you about it. But anyway, you go to, go to this place called Kohl's. And, and as before we went in and I started looking for shirts, she goes, okay, now here's the deal. Here, here's some things that you need. And she gave me a 20% off coupon. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And she goes, and then here's something else, and it's something called Kohl's Cash. She goes, this is Kohl's Cash, which is like a $10 bill. Here's $10 of Kohl's Cash, and she put that in my hand in addition to the coupon. And I said, well, wow, that's great. This is going to cost me nothing. And then she says, oh, and by the way, here's a 10% off card on men's apparel. If you buy $40 worth of stuff, you get $10 off. Okay, so I'm, I've got all this stuff in my hand. I'm like, wow. So I go in there, and I pick out a couple of shirts. And, and these shirts, you know, I don't know, 48 bucks or something. So I'm doing the math, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm going to get a lot of money off. But I'm realizing, hold it now, if, if, I get the 20, if I go up there to the register and I get the 20% off, and then I use the Kohl's cash, 10 bucks, then I, this will, will no longer be $40, and I won't get the $10 off the 40 to make it 30 You know, so I don't have a degree on applied mathematics, but I'm in there, you know, and I'm really trying to figure all this out, and I actually come to the the thought that I can actually buy a pair of socks that I really don't need 
and it will be cheaper for me than to walk out just with these two shirts. So, you know, I'm doing all this math, and I don't know if I'm spot on or not, but I bring my shirts and my socks, and I throw them on the counter, and then I give the 20% off coupon, and then I give the Kohl's cash certificate thing, and then I give them this little card that says 10% off, $40 men's apparel, and it all works. You know, it was like, wow, I got a great deal. Now, I had to, now it still cost me 30 bucks. And, and I had to bring a lot to the counter. I mean, I had the coupons, the cash, you know, the card, and the 30 bucks. But I walk out of there. As a matter of fact, the lady tells me, you just saved $74.95. And she circles it. And I'm like, $74? I can't afford not to go back in there. But anyway, so, you know, I'm just thinking, wow. You know, you walk out with all this stuff. It's like, man, you know. But it still, it still cost me $30 and three coupons to pull this off. Now, here's the deal. When God says free gift, you bring nothing to the counter. You don't bring your wallet. Yeah, that's cool stuff. Yeah, you don't bring your, you don't bring your wallet. You don't need money. You don't need a 20% off coupon. You don't need Kohl's cash. You don't need a little thing to reduce it from 40 to 30. He's saying free gift free. You bring nothing to the counter to make the transaction happen. And that brings us to the last point. Only Jesus can cleanse our souls. And he's offering to do that. Only Jesus can cleanse our souls. And he wants to do that for you. Here's the deal. We, if we think about it long enough, we realize that, that if the the people we love the most knew every dark thing about us, boy, I don't think they're going to love us so much. The people who accept us, if they knew every thought, they wouldn't accept us. And here's, here's what God's telling us. God knows you perfectly. God knows every secret in your life, every dark secret that you've ever had. God knows every sin that you've ever committed, sins that we don't even realize we're committing. God knows everything about us. And, he, and, and maybe God has you here just to hear this. God loves you anyway. God loves you who you are with all your flaws. God loves you. And he made a way for you to be reconciled to God, a holy and righteous God, even though we're messed up and stained with sin, he's made a way that we can be cleansed and then reconciled to him forever. But we don't deserve it. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. Not even religious stuff like washing hands or getting baptized or being a member of Grace Community Church. None of that does this for us. Only Jesus. Because God loved us and and we've all strayed from him. We've all sinned. He had to do something radical for us. And he allowed his only son, the son, as in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the son left heaven. God exists eternally in three persons. The son leaves heaven, clothes himself in humanity, comes to our earth, and lives a perfect life. No sin. Zero sin. A holy life. The only person who's ever walked the planet to live a holy life, a sinless life. And that wasn't all. 
That then uniquely qualified him to die for somebody else's sin. Almighty, infinite God clothed himself in humanity, lived a perfect life on earth, which qualified him to die for our sin in our place as our substitute. And that's exactly what he did. He allowed himself to be tortured to death on a cross outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He died to pay our sin penalty so we could be forgiven. Justice would not be violated. There would still be justice in the universe. Our sin could be paid for, but without our sin held to our account, that, that sin could be cleansed from us and we could have a relationship with a holy and righteous God forever. So we have to know a couple things. Two things we need to know before we can make this happen. We need to know that we're messed up, that we all have sin. And then the second thing is we need to believe who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, and that he actually died for our sin. We need to understand that intellectually. But actually, it's more than intellect, and that brings us to the point. You have to know those two things first. But once you know those two things, the transaction is not complete. I know I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus died on the cross. You know, that was supposed to save me. Transaction still not quite complete. What completes the transaction is belief or faith or trust in Jesus and only Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else that we can do. Nothing that we can bring to the counter. There's nothing that we can help God with this. It's all Jesus. That's why it's a total 100% gift. And when we come to the place in our lives that we, we admit our sin, we understand what Jesus has done for us, then we can make the transaction complete by placing our trust in Jesus and only Jesus and what he did on the cross. Because that's all we have. That's the only thing that can cleanse us on the inside so that we won't have to be punished for that sin because Christ was already punished for that sin on our behalf. But what makes the transaction complete is just placing our faith or belief, or the way I like to say it, our trust in Jesus and only Jesus and what he did on the cross. That, that's it. Free gift. And so a whole bunch of people in this room, we're messed up sinners. But we realize we've been offered this amazing gift and we've taken God up on it. We've said, okay, I'm placing my trust in Jesus. That's all I have. And we want that for you too, everybody. God loves you, and he made a provision. He made a way through Jesus for you to spend eternity with him, no longer marred by sin. The question is, will you, will you respond to him? Will you make the transaction complete? Will you just respond in faith? What I'd like to do uh, is I'd like everyone to bow your heads, and here's the deal. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, and I don't want to violate anybody's privacy. But this is the most important decision that you can ever make in your life. And, and if you're sitting here today, and maybe for the first time, it's sort of clear that, yes, we're all sinners, and Jesus came and died on the cross for me, but it's not just me intellectually believing in that, that that happened or it might have happened or whatever, 
It's more than that. It's us believing that it happened, but placing our trust in Jesus alone. If you're ready to do that, maybe as far as you know, for the first time, then I want to lead you in a prayer that just expresses that trust in Christ to God. Because the moment you trust in Jesus alone is the moment that you become a true Christian. It's not about church. It's not about, you know, religion. It's about you and God and trusting in what Jesus has done for you. So if you're not sure where you stand, let's just clear that up right now. And I want you silently in your heart to pray kind of what I'm going to pray, just as a pattern for you to follow. Just you pray in your own words silently. God knows your every thought. Just express these things to God. It goes like something like this. Father in heaven, I admit, like everybody else, I'm a sinner. Personally, I'm responsible for my sin. And Father, I also understand that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross as a way of paying for my sin so that I could be forgiven. And now, Lord, to to make that transaction complete, right now I am placing my trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross and nothing else, just Jesus, realizing I have nothing to bring to the counter I have nothing on behalf of myself. I, I'm following on your mercy. I'm trusting only in Jesus for my salvation. And, and God, I want you to come into my life and help me to live it in a way that honors you. God, thanks for loving me. Thanks for knowing me and still loving me completely. And not just with words, but with sacrifice. In Christ's name. Amen. I'd like our, our heads to, uh, to remain bowed just, just for another moment. And again, I don't want to embarrass you, violate your privacy or anything like that. I would just like to know so I can pray for you. If you prayed that prayer, as far as you know, sincerely for the first time, everybody's head's bowed. My head's not bowed. I'm kind of looking around. And I would like you to just kind of put your hand up a little bit so that I can see you. Thank you. Thank you. Just put it up. Right. Wait till I'm looking your way. Look up here and let me make some eye contact with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over on this side. Thanks. Just thank you. Just pop it up where I can see you. Appreciate that. Hands all over. In the back. I see you back there. Yeah, just put it up. Put it down. Just let me see you. See you. Just up and right back down. Put it up, put it down. Father in heaven, we thank you for these all over the room. Um, We've raised their hand indicating that they've placed their trust in you and you alone. God, that's the first day of the rest of their life. God, thank you for saving us and these today. God, thanks for loving us, knowing us completely, and still loving us completely. In Christ's name, amen.